This is The Guardian. Hi, this is Guardian Australia Reads. I'm Jane Lee. Every week, we ask Guardian Australia's editors what their favourite articles are, and then we read them aloud for you. Alan Dizzy Lynch was once a famous footballer, and he's still considered a legend of Australia's richest foot race, the Stall Gift. At 67, he's now in the grips of Parkinson's disease. Mike Heitner is Guardian Australia's sport editor. So, Mike, tell me why you chose this piece. This piece came out of a a series that the Guardian Australia ran on concussion in sports called The Hidden Cost of Sports in Australia. Um, Anecdotally, there's been evidence of of players unwilling to admit that they've got concussions because if they do, they'll be taken off the field. And that's, as for for a lot of professional athletes, is kind of goes against every fibre in their body. You know, it's like they're, they're there to play the game. We did find it fairly difficult to find case studies. In one instance, uh, we found somebody, but they didn't want to go on the record because if it was known publicly that they might have some degenerative uh, brain disorder, they're going to lose their job. Um, the interview with, with Alan Lynch was an important part of this series um, as uh, it captured the reality of sports-related concussions. Emma Kemp went out to meet him and uh, I feel that her story really captures the the sadness of of this situation. Let's hear it. This is I've Worn a Couple, How Alan Lynch's Scary Decline Adds to Concussion Discourse by Emma Kemp. Alan Dizzy Lynch is supposed to have his gaze fixed ahead, not directly at the photographer, but just a little to the right in his peripheral vision. He is largely obeying, until his wife Jenny is introduced. He cranes his neck towards the familiar co-subject posing behind him. Jenny gently prods him back into position. She says, he forgets sometimes. Lynch, perhaps used to this tender teasing, does not miss a beat. He says, that's what we're here for. He responds with such surprising zest that all in the room dissolve into laughter. At 67, Lynch is in the grips of Parkinson's disease, one of numerous neurological conditions linked to repeated head knocks. Research, including a study published last year in the BMJ, has found concussion-specific injuries are associated with an increased risk of Parkinson's later in life. When Lynch says... I've worn a couple. He means 15 to 20 solid concussions, which do not account for the many smaller, often asymptomatic brain traumas that occur regularly in collision-based sports. For some years, all seemed okay. Lynch ran businesses as a publican. He became a trivia whiz, continued to run and enjoy life with Jenny and their four children, Jess, Sam, Josh, and Tom, and grandchildren, Spencer, Poppy, and Harvey. But then he began to notice he couldn't remember some things, and Jenny found herself having the same conversations with her husband several times in one day. The confusion and anxiety became more pronounced and was accompanied by an impulsiveness and obsessiveness that felt foreign to the person he knew he was. The outside world noticed too. Family and friends remarked that he 
presented like somebody who had suffered a stroke. So frequently did he drift away mid-sentence. Jenny says he was very vibrant, very out there and confident. Five years on, that certainly changed a lot. He's still dizzy inside, but... Sam finishes the sentence. Just a few paces off, Diz. Lynch himself just feels a bit empty. He wonders, how long is this going to continue for? Discussions about the link between concussions and subclinical concussions and irreversible brain injury have engulfed collision-based sports globally. Australia, with its culture of contact sport, has found itself in a particularly troubling position and its governing bodies under ever-increasing pressure to do more. As the research and post-mortem chronic traumatic encephalopathy diagnosis pile up. In 2018, Lynch was assessed by scientists and joined the planned concussion class action against the AFL, also featuring former Essendon and Geelong Ruckman John Barnes, Brownlow medalist John Platten, and the recently retired Jack Frost. The South Australian lawyer representing the group, Greg Griffin, will allege the AFL breached its duty of care by routinely letting players return to the field on the same day after a head knock, and almost always the following week. Lynch, whose long-term memory is largely intact, can relate to such scenarios. One of those occurred at the MCG where, as a 26-year-old, he was knocked out while playing for Geelong's reserves in the 1980 Grand Final. When his team went to the huddles, he had no idea where he was. Still, he continued to play for a period before eventually being removed and sat down on a stool in the coach's box with a dressing gown to keep him warm. Hours later, after Geelong had finished their post-match celebrations, he was finally sent to hospital. A fortnight after that, Lynch was having a hand injury treated by a doctor who, by coincidence, had also been at the MCG that day to watch his Collingwood play Richmond in the first grade decider. He spent the reserves game in a seat directly behind Lynch and remarked that he had never seen the back of a head remain so still for the good part of three quarters. Lynch's retelling of this story is so fragmented, it is difficult to follow. The essence of the narrative is lost to subplots, steered back on track by Jenny and then lost all over again. With the concussions, Lynch starts in another thread. You've got to play with your brain, and you go to yourself. I represent the people of, I don't know what your electorate is back in Sydney, but then you spread out and represent more people. Then you get to a semi-final and you go, I'm going to be the Premier of New South Wales. Over the subsequent minute, it is collectively, hilariously, determined that Lynch means... There is good to come from his devastating circumstances. It is, in a sense, his mandate to raise awareness and to remote to other players, past and present, the importance of joining him and donating his brain to research. Dad always spoke in riddles back in the day, Sam says. People used to say Dad had dizzyisms. He was a coach, a motivator, but quirky. Now the quirkiness and randomness is probably amplified. It just takes a bit longer for Dad to process what we're all talking about. By the time that has been achieved, the discussion has often moved on. Lynch says, Then the person I'm talking to 
just moves into another conversation. They really sign off from the conversation, but nicely, they've got things to do too. Lynch speaks softly, slowly, as words toss around inside his brain, evading capture like grapes on the end of a pair of chopsticks. Sometimes he retrieves enough of the slippery little suckers to offer compelling clarity and some genuinely outstanding one-liners. Other times, the seconds drip by so slowly that Sam fills the silence. Get it out, Dizzy, he wisecracks. The sarcasm is always affectionate. This family have chosen to laugh whenever they can. But there are revealing moments of raw emotion, too, when Jenny has tears in her eyes. It is grieving for what was, because it's not anymore, she says. You've got that, but then you've got the challenges of what that actually means, too. The unknown for all of us, definitely for Dizzy, is that's very scary. But certainly grieving because it's never what you thought was going to happen. Discussions about the future or planning are just not there. We try to make sure we enjoy every moment because we don't know how long that's possible, really. Probably 12 months ago, we wouldn't have thought we'd be at this stage. It's really tough. Dizzy can't do what so many other people can do. He's got grandkids, but he can't take them by himself. You never planned for this to be happening in your life. Often, Diz is there, but he's not there. He's not present. It's like his mind is just not there. That's very sad. There are a lot of people a lot worse off than us. We have a great family, and we've got to be grateful for having some great memories. But it's also scary to think where this has gone. It just seems lately, probably in the last four or five months, there's been a decline. Jenny has Australian rules in her blood, quite literally, being the first cousin of VFL, AFL, great Tony Lockett. The same can be said for North Ballarat Football and Netball Club. Lynch coached the side to two premierships. All three sons played there. Even so, she finds it difficult to enjoy the game now and only goes along to watch their youngest son, Tom. Sam, who's 27, has tallied about eight concussions wearing the North Ballarat shirt. One in 2018 left him not right for three weeks. Another big one in 2019 landed him in hospital. Sam explains, The last few concussions I had, I would start getting shaken up just from little hits to the body. He played a full season after that, but has now stopped altogether. In large part because of what has happened to his father. Twin brother Josh has also stopped due to unrelated injuries. Sam's pride in Lynch is apparent in the near reverence with which he relates childhood memories. Even when they involve his dad being greeted by every second person on the street in Geelong, when he really just wanted to go to the beach. Sam says, I have mates who I play with, whose dads played against dad or with dad. They would come up to me and say, we used to try and belt him, and he'd just keep getting up. Five years ago, I would see that as a badge of honor, that it means you're held in high regard. Now I think I wish they didn't do that, but that's how it was. 
This sparked something in Lynch. Why waste your time to try and sling someone over, he asked. If I could have my career over again, I'd be trying to run for Australia, green and gold, instead of football. Lynch is a stalled gift hall of fame inductee, having won six races across the 1,600-meter and 3,200-meter events, including a three-peat of the latter between 1980 and 1982. He used to train with Steve Monaghetti. To date, his fastest 10K time is 28 minutes and 58 seconds. Now the pace is meandering, but the very fact he still takes a regular turn about the lake near the family home has, doctors believe, kept his symptoms from being worse than they already are. He now runs better than he walks, Jenny says. That isn't difficult. Lynch has a pronounced Parkinsonian gait. Every rise in the pavement requires warning, and a trip down an escalator is approached cautiously. The other week, he encountered a similarly challenging journey down the steps of Ballarat's City Oval Grandstand. I took a couple of steps and thought, you're all right. I would take five dollars a head off the other people on the steps who said, you're right there, Dizzy. Do you want a hand? I make sure I slow down and enjoy the bit of goodwill. It's beautiful. I only stumbled about four times. For his family, the illness is consuming. Sam describes it as akin to having a different father. There are definitely recognizable moments when the jovial, energetic traits resurface. All in all, though, it is like going from getting looked after to being the one who sort of looks after them. For Lynch himself, it means an almost complete loss of independence. He can no longer work, drive, or cook. Showering and dressing is a slow process. He often feels anxious, especially in the mornings, when the day ahead is unknown. Mostly, it contains empty space a daunting proposition for a head already feeling vacant. He might walk up the road for a coffee, then walk back, then repeat the process. He still watches the footy, but was never much of a reader. To Kill a Mockingbird still got a chapter to go, and that was in year five. Jenny, a school principal, gives her husband little task to keep him busy while she is at work. Even if no groceries are required, she will assign him a couple of items to purchase from the supermarket. If he has a doctor's appointment in two weeks' time, he will ask me about it every day, she says. So I often don't tell him now because it just becomes too stressful for him. Last week, he briefly could not place his wife at a Melbourne shopping mall and became disoriented and overwhelmed. When Oxford described how he felt in that moment, he instead recounts a story from 2019 about feeling stressed while on a train from Footscray to Ballarat, unsure of where he was or when to get off. It is an unsettling tale, but one of many within this family's unsettling tale. Perhaps, Jenny suggests, one too unsettling for sporting bodies such as the AFL. My thoughts are that it's such a big can of worms that they don't want to open it. There's more happening, but there's still so much more that could happen to make it safer, right across the board, 
not just in the AFL, there needs to be more education about what the effects look like for a family. I don't think you can go against the science now. There's just too much. And it's what filters down. What happens to community clubs who haven't got a video camera or a doctor or medico on the sideline? They have someone who's done 15 minutes of first aid and are making these really serious decisions. We need intelligent discussion with no agenda. That was I've Worn a Couple, How Alan Lynch's Scary Decline Adds to Concussion Discourse by Emma Kemp. The reader was Shaka Cook. For photos of Alan Lynch and his family and to read the full article, go to Guardian Australia's website. This episode was produced by Raf Katuma, Alison Chan and Camilla Hannan. I'm Jane Lee. See you next time.